Jen walked by and I was going, I went, <laughs> I was just shaking my face back and forth, just trying to wake up. Bye, honey. <laughs> I'm sure she looks at you doing that and says, that's why I married him. <laughs> well, she goes, she goes, what is that? Is that like your warm up? I'm like, what are you talking like, No, I'm trying to wake up. She's like, oh, you're not doing mommy made me mash my M&M. So I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> She's like, that's the warm up for course that Sarah does, you know, like doing the scales. So you go, mommy made me mash my M&M's. So I, then then I started doing as Arnold. Mommy made me mash my M&M's. <laughs> so uh, how was Y'all be small. You'll be great. Gonna love to put my M&M's on a plate. Starting here. <laughs> starting now. Everything's coming up. Gardeners. <laughs> Back to the bin. The Vince Lombardi of Back to the Bins. That's right. We're going to fight, fight, fight. We get him on the run. We're going to keep him on the run. Why you got to fight? Why can't you? Why can't we all just get along? Because that's no fun. That's very true. We could get along, but and it's dull. It's it's like the episodes when, when I don't abuse Bill. Nobody finds that funny. Yeah, nobody wins. <laughs> oh, we're all here. I can tell the story, the highly embarrassing story. I've fallen, and I can't get up. Uh-oh. So should we bring this in at some point? I guess. Should we save the highly embarrassing story that Scott already knows for the show? Well, do, do you, oh, do, yes. Does it work better yes. as preamble? No, it is totally worth it for the show, yes. Does it work better as preamble or does it work better as, the, as, no, as part of the show? Wherever. It doesn't really matter. It's just <laughs> it's hysterical. Bill, could you do something like really dopey or something so I have something for the preamble? Haven't I given you enough already? <laughs> I know, but <laughs> that's not good enough it's right a there. gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro. Obama made me mash my M&M's. I'm joined <laughs> by faux Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and faux Lieutenant Dreyfus. Or is it oh, Chief Inspector Dreyfus? You know what's funny is I'm changing it as we speak. Ah, I'm, I'm joined by the Red Skull now. <laughs> you are failing! You are failing! What the hell happened to his nose? I love using that at work. Somebody got his nose. <laughs> I think Arnold Schwarzenegger wanted to play Got Your Nose and actually ripped it off his head. Hitler. Hitler got his nose. I've 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 used that at nose. work. You got your nose. <laughs> Which I hand do you think it's in? I got your nose. <laughs> oh, it should be Hitler on a sled and well, with Red Skull's nose. That's because he said to Arnold, you know, uh, Arnold said, I got your nose. And he says, you are failing and ripped his nose right off. <laughs> I use that at work with people, you know, well, we did this, but we didn't quote it right. And I go, you are failing. And they look I at want, me like I'm crazy. And you and wonder why you're so loved at work. <laughs> <laughs> I want it on a T-shirt. What, a picture of Bill? Little, no, <laughs> with a little sound chip in it where you could just push the button. You are failing, <laughs> but in my voice. <laughs> oh, we walked all over. Like, what? Uh, they say stuff like, uh, is it safe? 
And I go, what, are you going to rip my teeth out now? <laughs> and they what? don't get it, right? Yeah, they exactly. don't get it. They yes, get it's it. very safe. It's very safe. It's so safe you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Is it safe? Rip! Ah! <laughs> we walked all over your intro, Paul. Sorry about that. Well, I introduced you as... Uh... As our wait, 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 Schwarzenegger wait, wait, in the Red Skull, wait, so I think we're okay. Wait, for Russell, that go watch the marathon, man. You'll get the "Is it safe?" reference. You you, you can pretty much assume he hasn't. <laughs> See, that could be your new job on the show, Bill. Right there is is afterwards to to have show notes like little today's, asterisks. Today's references were brought today's to you by yeah Marathon Man, <laughs> Captain America, the um, the first Avenger. <laughs> That probably would benefit some listeners. <laughs> well, I I think the references we make are never so oblique that they can't figure them out. I don't know. Is it safe? It's kind of. I don't know, dude. Because I I was just uh, proof listening to Two True Freaks episode five hundred. Chris Honeywell is doing all of the heavy lifting on the editing of that because I just frankly can't be bothered, and. Um, there was the thing that you guys did, and I won't spoil what it is, but okay. the thing that, that you two and um, Hair Metal Hero did, that I, I was listening to that going, what what the hell is this? I had no idea what it was. What? He had to tell me later on. I had that's, no idea. That's more of a poor reflection on you then. <laughs> I guess. I've never seen that movie. I just have never had any interest to see that movie, so I, I did not know what it was. You know, without a without a proper frame of reference, I, I was just like, what, what the hell? What the hell is this? You know? Actually, listening to the thing that we did, I actually edited that. What did you think? I thought it was great. I mean, Thank you. Know, editing was fine, and the you know the 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 acting was good, and everything. I just, like I say, I just was a little bit uh, confused by it because I just <laughs> didn't quite understand what what exactly it was. It was obvious it was referencing something or you're riffing on something, but I just didn't quite get what it was. I put my all into that, man. <laughs> I know, that Paul. That is not a reflection on the skit. I'm just telling you that I didn't know I what wrote the that skit, was. Man. And then I edited it, and I mixed all the music. <laughs> so you need, to t- you need to tell your story. If you, you are sure you really want to tell the story, because once you tell it, you can't take it back. That's the problem. Yes, I learned that. I can't story. believe that you... T- Told me, I, told I, I really could not because I'm telling you right now. If it had been me that it had happened to, they're, they're, oh, there's hell, hell no, I'm not telling nobody that. I'd be like, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I'd, I'd make something up, well, even if well, it's completely you, you ridiculous. Say, I'm falling and I can't get up. I, I was in the can, right? Right, <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. I go to the bathroom. Sorry, you know, I actually um shit my pants, and that's what you know. I would have made up something. Oh, that even that would have been, been less embarrassing, you know. So. Now you have Paul's interest peaked. No, no. In fact, I'm thinking of running and <laughs> trying to get as far away as I can. There was no excretion of body fluids in this story. Are you? Were, sure? you, were you required to purchase new undergarments afterwards? No, but maybe I should purchase larger clothes. <laughs> I don't have my parody song written either, Scott. Oh, the fat's in the cradle. And the are you absolutely sure that you want to tell this story? I, I don't think it's as bad as, uh, well, yeah, it's, well, I mean, I don't know. I told the gay house story and <laughs> that, that one lives on still. And you're there every Thursday night. 
Well, yeah. it's just it's, all, all it's, I'm saying is that you know we 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 got some feedback recently, basically saying leave Bill alone, leave him alone. So you know, I mean, do we really you know do we want to give them give us essentially give Paul more ammunition than he already has than he than he would hey, ever you know really what? need? If you're not in the papers, they're not talking about you. So you know, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Whatever. No press is bad press. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's it's really just just a, it's kind of a sad story. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting sadder by the moment. It's a story of a man. All right, I guess this will be a, a, a rather long real life with Doctor Bill. Well, let me let me ask you this first of all: Should I mute my microphone and just listen, or should I interrupt and 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 I don't know because Scott you I, wherever I see it a possibility. Scott and I will probably be laughing through it anyway. I fully and, intend to laugh the entire way through it, yes. And you you may need to stop me to ask for clarification. Exactly at what point did you think that was going to work, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't even started and he's killing me. Alright. <laughs> okay, so I guess it's time for for... Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Real Life with Dr. Bill Robinson. So, my illustrious co-host, Mr. Gardner, I have to thank him because uh, he was the one that facilitated this embarrassment. Uh, as uh, we um, we went over to Disney, I keep wanting to call it Vision Quest, but that's a totally <laughs> different movie. <laughs> Disney Quest. Um, and we spent the day playing games and having a good time last week. And one thing that I didn't do last time... <laughs> and won't be able to do ever unless certain things happen uh was the what was that called that was called the space mountain cyber well, roller coaster let's let's back up so for those that don't know disney quest is a five-story interactive arcade It's essentially an indoor theme park and they have you know tons of vintage arcade games you know from the from the 70s 80s and 90s that are all free play once you're in the building and everything yeah, so vintage also, they stopped fixing them. Right, and there's also a couple of of levels that have, um, you know, quote unquote headliner attractions. You know, like the virtual uh, Jungle Cruise, where you actually row a, a boat down, you know, the the rivers of the of the Jungle Cruise. And there's virtual Pirates of the Caribbean, which we played. And then there's uh, one called Cyber Space Mountain. So it's like Space Mountain, but the twist on it is you design. And then build and then ride your own roller coaster. Oh, but ride is the tricky term. <laughs> so, so go from there. <laughs> now the picture is painted. Yeah, so we sit down and Ben and I design our own coaster. You go through with Bill Nye, the science guy, and you create. And you could actually go upside down and, you know, steep embankments and stuff. And we designed the coaster. Call it the Cosmic Banshee. Excuse me. Oh. Yeah, that's another reason why I can't fit. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, we go rolling up, and uh, there's this whole long process. You got to take everything out of your pockets. So, and I guess you know it was. I decided it was spare change day, so I'm taking everything out. I'm putting it in a little cubby hole and everything. And I'm like, all right, Ben, let's go. Yeah. So we walk in. <laughs> you step. You step down into this basically little ball. Notice I said little, and. Uh, Ben got down in there first, and he sits in his seat, and I come down in there, and 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 I just you know, Ed, bring bring myself, lower myself in, and as my butt cheeks hit the seat, I'm like, well, that's a little snug. 
So I remember I, about the air too. You were talking yeah, about the air. Just say, so I forced myself in, and it's like my ass hermetically sealed a pocket of air <laughs> underneath me as I as I sat into the seat, and so I had to like grab the sides and force myself in. It's like, you know, all this air coming out the sides. You should myself. Hey, hold on a minute. Air was coming out of the side from underneath your seat. No, no, no. From in between my ass, from the, the sides of my pants. Have you considered where that air may have been coming from? <laughs> yes, I trapped it. I wasn't farting. Oh, yeah, okay. So imagine stuffing a beanbag chair into a Ziploc bag is essentially... Yeah, that's just true. So I'm, I jam myself... Build a beanbag chair. <laughs> Build, a bean... <laughs> Build a living beanbag chair. <laughs> <laughs> So I pushed ahead, myself big, in. <laughs> so I pushed down, and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing I got all the air out. So like, okay, we're gonna lower down the restraints. So the you know, restraint comes down over me, and it comes down, and it stops. And the ride operator goes, oh, "Sir, we're gonna need to push that down a little more. You got to get that pin into that hole." And so. As I look, you know, straining, looking down over to the to, to my left, and I see yonder pin and yonder hole, and there's like one inch away, and I I look at it and go, that ain't gonna make it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, well, we gotta get that first, you know. He's smiling, going, we gotta get that first pin in, or you can't get on the ride. And I look at him, and go, you get the first pin in, I'm gonna black out because <laughs> I can barely <laughs> breathe as it is. He's like. Okay, well, let's try it again. I'm just going to release the air pressure, and it'll rise back up, and we can try it again. All right, okay. Now, now who's releasing the air pressure? <laughs> yeah. Are we back to farting again? No, no, no. I did not <laughs> fart. <laughs> Maybe yeah. if I had farted, I might have fit. You know, I was thinking that, actually. <laughs> All right, keep going. So, so he's like, okay, we got to release the gas. You know, <laughs> see, now you got me saying gas. We got to release the air pressure so I can raise raise the thing back up. So he we gotta find the clip of that black guy from Return of the Jedi that goes, "She's gonna blow." And we gotta find that. <laughs> so, Ben's Ben's hardest ra raises up, and mine just sits there, and I'm just looking at it, looking at the guy. Now, you can remember I'm down inside this little hole. Try to describe it, Scott. Like I'm looking up at this guy. He's like six. He's like six or eight feet up, standing on a platform. Yeah, it's, it's and a he's... ride simulator. You're you're actually you you descend stairs and load into a, a ride simulator that's essentially like being, it's almost like being put into a trunk. You know, I mean, it's it's a small little thing, and it's and it's on a, uh, it's like on a... an axle. You know, it's on yeah. a pivot. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking up at the guy, like it didn't pop up. Well, let me try it again. <laughs> Push down. You know, Nah, it didn't release. It's not going anywhere. So now I'm trying to take a deep breath, and I can't take a full deep breath. I'm I can only take three quarters of a breath. So now now I'm like Miles Dyson in in, in Terminator Two. <laughs> St starting to wonder if I'm going to make it out of this ride alive. <laughs> so the ride operator goes, "I'm going to you know, I'm going to have to get somebody down here for maintenance." Like, oh god. Get the Vaseline stat. <laughs> so I'm now I'm starting to think, oh man, 
we've been here like probably twice as long as we should be. I wonder what Scott's thinking. Like, where are we at? In the meantime, what Scott's thinking is, you know, Logan and I have created our coaster, loaded it onto our card, got in line, waited through, got on a ride, dumped all the shit out of our pocket, got into the ride, ridden the ride, got all the shit back into our pockets again, and descended the stairs and have been waiting like 20 minutes. In the meantime, I'm starting to think, Gosh, I hope he didn't have a heart attack or something. You know, I, I had no idea. That would really be a downer the... for the ride home. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea what the hell had happened to him. All I know is we're waiting and waiting and waiting. So I'm thinking, you know, what? I really was, I was starting to worry. I was, I was like, you know, really concerned that something had happened to him. And then, of course, he comes down with... <laughs> Picture you just chop of the beanbag chair. Oh, that's so mean. See, I told you it was gonna start right away, Bill. Dude, well, I'm not even done with the story, and he's already starting. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, I, so, need one, I need one of those. I need the job of the hut beanbag chair. Well, I'll be up there in June, and you can sit on me. <laughs> no. <laughs> You know, so, it's, it's kind of—I mean, maybe it's a kind of a sad reflection on you that a job of the hut beanbag chair is more appealing. <laughs> oh, it gets better. So, you know, while I'm sitting there pretending to be Miles Dyson, <laughs> um, finally the maintenance guy comes, and you know, the guy just kind of looks down at me, and. Uh, all I'm thinking is what this guy is going to be saying later in the break room. <laughs> yeah, we got another one today, Charlie. Oh, man, you should have seen this guy. I Ooh, doubt he got another one. I doubt you, you were one of a kind. <laughs> you should have seen this guy. Whoa. So <laughs> he's I like, a light was a bigger boat. <laughs> he's like, well, I'm going to try to cycle the air pressure again. I'm like, yes, yes, try to cycle the air. Yes, it works so fine the first two times. So <laughs> I want to just get the hell out of this thing. So now uh, uh, he's like, "All right, sir, uh, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna put my, I'm gonna put my foot on the armrest. <laughs> I'm gonna put my foot on the armrest and try to push it down and lock it into position." And I went, "No, <laughs> no. If you could get me out, that's fine. Please do not lock this into position. I will not be able to breathe." Okay. So he, he like leans in and he puts his foot right on my, right on the thing by my chest. Now 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 I'm getting pictures of like I'm I'm the kid from a Christmas story being kicked down the slide by Santa Claus. <laughs> oh too too fat to ride the coaster. Ho 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 <laughs> football, what's a football? So he pushes down, chink, boom. And the thing opens up. So I I turned to Ben. Now this is where I told Scott, you know, I need to write a song to uh, to cats in the cradle, but I'll call it fats in the cradle. You know. <laughs> <laughs> where you going, Dad? I'm too fat to ride, Ben, but we'll get together then. Yeah. You know we'll have See, a good time then. You know, you know we have several ride, right? <laughs> we have several listeners who have extremely quality artistic talent. <laughs> Maybe somebody wants to recreate that scene <laughs> so it can be saved forever because I have to blame Scott for not getting a picture of it. I didn't know all this was going on. I, and I that's no the problem. <laughs> and the fat's in the cradle and Dr. Bill got stuck. <laughs> ben had to ride the ride. He was out of luck. 
No, I'm serious. By the time they finally came around the Christmas, because I knew something was wrong when you guys didn't come I knew out. Something was wrong when he tried to sit down in the chair. <laughs> well, then <laughs> I had to get myself out because now I'm like, I've been sitting in this thing for, I think, at least 10 minutes. So I've got, like, I'm trying to, I'm putting my arms up and I'm like, like a T Rex with my arms are too. I couldn't get him up high enough to get any leverage to pull myself out. Like, ah! I had to, like, finally lean myself forward and just kind of, you know, pop out like it was giving birth, you know? Blah, blah, blah. And I just, just got up and walked out, did did the walk of shame. Walk of shame. <laughs> Dr. Bill had to wear the cone of shame for the rest of the day. I do not like the walk of shame. That's the fa- hey, that's the fat guy. And he couldn't fit in the ride. <laughs> Big cone of shame around my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so the final indignity. You mean there was more? Is that I had to walk around. I had to watch my son while I took all my shit back out of the cupboard and put it in my pockets. And I got to watch... At, at least I got to watch Ben ride the ride on the little video screen. But then, like, another group of parents came up while I was w- watching the video. Like, they're waiting for me to clean my stuff out. So I don't, like, hurry up. And uh, they're going, oh, yeah, we got a, like, we got a 5.0 coaster. Because, you know, it's got, it goes upside down ten times. And I'm thinking, screw you. I bet you fit, too, you sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> what was yours? Yours was a two? Yeah, it was a two. But didn't you, you had like inversions and stuff, didn't you? Yeah, well, not that I'd know. <laughs> there was two times we were. No, it, it just went in the straight line. <laughs> and I couldn't fit. <laughs> See, I wondered what would happen if they had got you into that thing and then you went into an inversion. We would have had, <gasps> we would have had a good lawsuit. That's if I'd fit. I would miss Bill, but I would enjoy the legacy. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's when we came out and met you, and I told you the whole story, and then then we joked about it more at uh, at uh, Taco Bell. You know, I, I'm I'm sure that helped things afterwards. <laughs> I I I I could fit the ride. Let's go to Taco Bell. Taco Bell makes everything better. And yeah, and that's when I was I was singing the song, you know. And as we sat down on Nate, I looked over at Ben. My boy was just like me, yeah. He could be fat, just like me. <laughs> and the fat's in the cradle and Bill can't fit. <laughs> Scott's wondering, where the hell is that shit? <laughs> ah, so yeah, that's my embarrassing uh, Disney Quest story. Poor Bill. I'm just a Bill. Yes, I'm only a... <laughs> Good for a laugh, though. I think our listeners will. Oh, we were laughing hysterically later. We think we, we yeah, were... we were. We were. You were very good-natured about it, which, again, shocked me, because I'd be like, nope, nothing happened, we were fine, everything's good, everything's okay you sit there and be all depressed about it? <laughs> it was kind of funny. <laughs> I'm glad you thought so. <laughs> I've done uh, worse things. You were a good sport about it. <sighs> so that's so. it. <laughs> that's what do my you think, story, Mark? that's one I'm sure you've heard before. <laughs> and get stuck in a cyber roller coaster. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful story? I'm, I, you know, I'm just a little disappointed they didn't make you part of the ride. <laughs> that, that could have been fun. You have to sit next to this fat guy in the ride. What? Well, we can't get rid of him. <laughs> so we just feed him every once in a while and he'll be here all the time. We're hoping he'll pop out eventually. We'll keep feeding him. 
Man, one inch. That's all I needed was one inch for that pin to go down. And I was just like, I was, the guy's like, I'm like, no, no, man. <laughs> you push that inch. You you lock that thing in. I won't be able to breathe. <laughs> I'm telling you, no. <laughs> uh, there's like a tote board back there and bad, bad. You know, up. Oh, fat guy's stuck. Yeah, we got another one. Let's put another number up here. Just <laughs> all, all these hash marks on the wall. <laughs> times can one man here we just need one more inch in his life anyway you know that's that's the thing <laughs> it does does bring me to flashbacks of our adventure in the haunted mansion <laughs> hey hey <laughs> hey that one reflects on the three talk of us about that. that's true oh my lord i wish I that was on video somewhere all all three of us in one card at the haunted mansion yeah that, that was, was yeah <laughs> i just i just wonder what that you know like the matron of the ride was thinking when she looked at the three of us <laughs> Look at these three assholes. That's what you're thinking. Probably. <laughs> Hope the ride doesn't break. You know, break down yeah. because they will wait in one spot. You know? Exactly. <laughs> they had to retire that cart. <laughs> it's all stripped out. <laughs> metal on metal. So bringing it back to comics, I wonder what they're going to do with the uh, Haunted Mansion comic book that they're going to put out now. What do you as mean? Far as what? I'm wondering, like, what the content is going to be like. You know, how, how they, know. What what type of story are they going to present? I don't know. Is it going to be like Eddie Murphy's movie where you know? Oh, is, is it really going to be scary or is it going to just going to be kiddified? Is that yeah, what you're thinking? That's, that's kind of what I'm wondering. I don't know. I, mean, I don't think it's going to be intensely scary. I don't think that's what they're <laughs> shooting for. But I don't I don't want it to be too kiddified because then you know. Well, I hope I hope it's somewhere in the middle because you know the ride itself I think strikes a nice balance of being somewhere in the middle because. Mm-hmm. It was it was kind of born out of two ideas. You know, one was a a very whimsical idea, kind of a whimsical haunted house, and the other one was very much a you know traditional let's let's scare the pants off of them haunted house. And when they they couldn't quite come to a decision on which way they wanted to go, they kind of mashed the two ideas together, and that's why it does have that kind of quirky dichotomy going on when you're when you're in there. You know, where where one scene is kind of quirky funny and then the next scene is kind of you know i wouldn't say scary necessarily but edgy i mean edgier than you would think for something find at a disney park you know well maybe maybe edgy but i don't think it i don't think it ever crosses the line into scary well well my take on it is that when i was a kid when i was first time i went to disney i think i was uh, six or seven and back then it was scary for me with the things that jumped up from behind the tombstones right. and, and the hands coming out from under the crypt and, and the people like the hosts back then did scare me because I was a little kid. Right. But as I went to it more and more over the years and grew older, I could appreciate the more subtle things and it didn't, it wasn't as scary anymore. So it's kind of, it's kind of like a timeless ride. You know, as you grow older, it changes yeah. in ways for you. I think it's very easy for us as, you know, men over 40 to look at it and go, ah, it's not scary. But, you know, you have to remember for little kids, I mean, there's there's elements yeah. of the thing that scare the bejesus out of you, you know, with things that jump out. And I, what I really mean is, you know, there's there's an overall um, eerie quality to it, you know, maybe not outright frightening, but, you know, definitely <clears throat> capturing that that spooky feel. You know, it, I mean, it's it's not it's a small world. You know what I mean? It's it's right. not kiddified. It's it's not toned back for the little ones. I mean, it, it has a, a certain edge to it. Well, but and I thought the... it has some true dark elements. I mean, you know, the the 
Black Widow Bride is, I mean, that's a pretty dark concept, you know, this this woman that keeps remarrying every couple of years to decapitate her husbands and move up her status in life. I mean, that's that's pretty dark stuff, you know. I, th- I thought the intensity was light enough that we ended up spending more of the ride admiring the Paul Freeze narration right. than, than we did, you know, being at all thrown off by the ride itself. Right. And that's, you know, I'll say, you know, maybe for you, you know, you've been on it enough times. It's no big deal. But that was the first time I was ever on it. And still, I was listening to more of the narration and kind of admiring the technique more than being, you know, thrown off by the spookiness. Right. So I see that it's it's just I mean, it was fun. It's a lot of fun uh, when I could breathe. (laughs) (laughs) Were you in the you were in the middle, weren't you? I don't recall. Oh. I know I've, I was on the one on the, one of the outside edges because I think my butt cheek was hanging over off the, the side of the ride. <laughs> that was probably the most frightening aspect. Probably scared to people though. You know when the carts rolled around. Oh my god! <laughs> the hell is that? It's a moon. It's a job of the hood beanbag chair. <laughs> hey, that's no moon. That's... <laughs> so what do you think? Uh, I just I've been seeing the latest news on the internet is. Uh, DC relaunching everything again. Oh, God. I heard that. Well, at this point, I'm not really too concerned with it because what are they going to do? Screw it up more? <laughs> they've, they've already, you know, pretty much turned off everybody I know who, you know, who loves DC stuff. Well, now now they're doing, oh, I don't know what Marvel has been doing. And I guess they're going to bring the characters in line with the TV and movie properties. Which is even confusing, more confusing since... Yeah, they're ignoring the TV stuff. I thought it was going to be TV and movies. I don't know. I mean, I I read, which doesn't make any sense because now you're going to have... You've got two properties that don't... That you're not even meshing, whereas Marvel is meshing their TV and movie universe. But yet DC is not. And now you're going to have comics based on both. Eh, whatever. Please understand, this is from somebody who hasn't really followed the story and honestly does not give a shit. I am so done with DC that it's not even funny. But I did see, as part of one of the groups I'm part of on Facebook, I did see somebody complaining about the fact that this realignment is ignoring the TV stuff. That they're they're, they're rewiring Uh the comics to reflect the movies. But again, according to this person the TV stuff was being left out in the cold and whoever it was that posted, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was. Their point was that in their opinion, if they were going to do that at all, you know, realign the comics to reflect media that they should be reflecting the TV because the TV is the only good stuff. According to this person. I mean, I don't follow any of it, but I would tend to agree just as far as, you know, the, the, the popular pan, fan opinion that I'm seeing there, I'm seeing a lot less bitching about the TV stuff than I am about the movie stuff. I know, think that's – I would agree with that. You're, you're definitely seeing more bitching about the movies. Right. The TV so, stuff has been pretty pretty widely accepted. So I'm not sure – yeah, I, I'm, I'm mystified by the whole damn thing. I'm, I'm mystified on so many levels. I'm mystified by how can you – let it go on this long and disenfranchise this many people before you realize that you have a problem for one. But also I'm wondering, you know, so, okay, you know, DiDio's the head guy in charge and all that, and he runs the whole thing. And of course he's not going to oust himself, but I mean, is Warner brothers friggin' asleep? I mean, who's in charge? Well, that's, that's the thing that, that I do find mystifying is the decision making at DC that I see 
seems to be almost a byproduct of like suits who don't understand the product. Right. And yet the guys making decisions are guys like Dan DiDio, who's a lifelong comic fan. So he claims. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, he, he and I came from the same neighborhood. We, we actually got into a conversation once about different comic stores that we frequented, and he seemed to know them pretty well. So I'm, I'm assuming that that's accurate. Uh, and, and, you know, Jim Lee, who's, for better or worse, he's a creator, so you would think he would understand the creative process and everything a little better and wouldn't be making decisions based purely on business and, and poorly made on business. So it's just very head-scratching, the decision-making that they're doing. And, and as with all comics, including Marvel, it seemed, a lot of it seems to just be very short-sighted. Yep. Like they're never looking at the total big picture and saying, what do we need to do to perpetuate this industry and make this something that's going to go on and on and on? It's just how can we maximize our dollars today and today only and to hell with tomorrow? That's really what it feels like to me. Somebody has a differing differing opinion. I'd be curious to hear it. So please write in if you do. No, I, I mean, for me personally, I, I agree with you. I've thought that for quite a while now. And I don't know if it's just desperation because they're trying to save their business or what, but I don't know. I think I, it may be more desperation. I don't think they're trying to save the business. I think they may just be trying to save their own jobs. Right. Because mm-hmm. that, that's the only thing that, that maybe makes some sense to me, that, that they feel like, you know, I, I can't worry about the long run because otherwise I'm going to be out of a job tomorrow. Right. So I need to worry about today. And if I, if I can bump the sales today, then at least I have a job for the next few months. I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but that's what it feels like. I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's, easy, it's very easy to play, you know, armchair executive and go, well, you know, here's the obvious things they need to do and all that. I mean, it's easy to do that because we're not in the position and everything. But at the same rate, you would think that. To be when, fair, I'm not even doing that. I'm not even saying this is what you should do. I'm right, just saying no. the decisions they're making don't make any sense. Right. No, no. I, I mean, I, I don't – I wasn't saying that that's what you're doing. I'm just saying, you know, for any of us to, to look at the situation and, and you know, wonder what, what they're doing or try to second-guess them. But here's the thing that mystifies me to this very day is that when you have a, a clear-cut model, like the one that Marvel is is putting forward that works and it's proven now with what do we have now like 13 14 marvel movies at this point you know when they have a model that is clearly working very well and i could be wrong but i'm not hearing all this woe is me as it pertains to the marvel comics product and i'm talking the comics i mean they i I know that there are i don't think their sales are really all that hot to trot either yeah no i think i think you need to listen a little bit more and you'll hear some of that because people are getting tired of marvel you know they're not rebooting the universe but they're rebooting the books right and left right yeah and people are getting tired of it yeah that's true so i i don't know but i don't know i I'm, I'm kind you know, of torn you know on the whole thing. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the answer is stop numbering the comics. Just put the date on them. <laughs> Don't worry about what this number is. <laughs> Are you going to say, oh my God. Oh, I guess if. But you I know, guess you know just I, a but date. When you come out with a new, you know, with a new number one once a year, I, just make, I know. It, I make it, 19, you know, 2016 number one. And then next year, like they did, 2017 like they did with Superman one. back in the day, to where they just had the ongoing story and they just numbered. You know, they had the triangle through the different books, but right. just do it for your books. Just, you know, but just, but yeah, just put the date because I can't keep track anymore. I can't keep track of all the different reboots of the same 
you know, what, Secret Avengers was up to like three volumes and of Avengers was up at the five, I don't know, and New Avengers, it like, it's like three, and now they've done Secret Wars. I don't even know. There was a sale at Yancey that I was going to go to, and I just, my head hurt just thinking, trying to get the new books, and I didn't even go. I was just like, eh, screw it. That's where Scott's system of having the actual covers on your uh, database help. Right. Because you can actually look and say, no, this isn't the number one I need or whatever. Well, I've started right. to do that with the ones that I don't need, but I haven't. I, I, I mean, with the ones that I do need, I usually have a digital photo pick. But I just got, you know, I'm like, I, I know they just relaunched new stuff. And I just, ah, I just can't be bothered right now. I just had too much going on. I, I was stuck in a chair here in the in the garage. <laughs> Did you see the new picture I put up? Yes. <laughs> you got the moves like Jabba. Okay. <sighs> so we've we've tangented long enough. And this is gonna go before the comics, not after, so But wait, I thought I had one more tangent, but maybe we'll save that go for ahead, another go show. Ahead, tangent away. Well, with our with the duet that I had sent you, uh I called you about the other day. What were we singing? Love lift us up where we were wrong? Oh, we could do that too. Dueling Arnold's, but no, somewhere out there. Oh yeah, yeah. And I would do uh, you know, Somewhere out there beneath a pale light, someone's thinking of me and loving me tonight. And then you do the James Ingram deeper. I I, I don't know the words. <laughs> Sorry. I'm only looking at the lyrics, so, you know. No? I figured I, Scott would, like, roll in his grave, you know. Oh, my God. Scott's I, not in a grave. I don't know if you're aware. It would be that bad. It would kill him. <laughs> I, I never did like that song. <laughs> oh, well, then you'd probably like it even less. <laughs> I, 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 did, I did enjoy your rendition of it there, though. Ah. It's quite impressive. <laughs> if they had that on American Tale instead of the, what they had, I, I might have watched it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we well, should fellas. do. We should do Dueling Arnold's Greatest Love, love Song Hits, and we can have, like, Islands in the Stream. <laughs> well, we do all duets. <laughs> All Don't duets. go breaking my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Islands Bill, in the stream. That is what we are. Bill, did you just not like your book or something? We Why? got tonight. Who needs tomorrow? <laughs> Why? Oh, oh, because I keep stalling. Yeah, it's you are stalling. Oh. <laughs> He hates these cans. And for those of you at home, these hates these cans is from the jerk. That's what I should do the whole show. Anytime there's a reference, I have to stop the show and say what it is. You have to do it in that whispering voice. (laughs) No, no, I like my book. I love my book. I need my book. That was William Shatner from Star Trek Five. Oh, you you had the. uh, Well, Scott, you have the older book. So do you want to go first, or is it Bill? Scott can go first. He's got the older are, book. Are, are we done? Are we done stalling and messing around? I hope. I was just See, doing a quick Google search for the "you are failing" picture. I was going to make a "you are stalling" meme out of it. <laughs> you are stalling for procrastinators. <laughs> you are stalling. You are stalling. You know what? I may get away without doing a book today. <laughs> yeah, you might, because we might not get done before one o'clock in the morning. Ah, you could use that. Bill, for are you any... drinking Mar- Mountain Dew? Yeah, and you're I had a two-hour Honeywell. I what? Are you pulling a Honeywell? You're all I, hopped up on energy drink. I had a two-hour nap before you guys called. Oh, Jesus Christ! 
It was well, I was kind of depressed about work, so I was so bummed out I went to sleep. <laughs> Man, oh man, and, oh man. And then Paul's message woke me up. I'm like, oh, my ass is ringing. I'm stuck in the chair again. That's it. <laughs> Your ass is ringing? Ass. Yeah, it's where my phone was at. It was like, Oh, my Lord. All right. I'm going to go ahead and dive us into this thing. Please, please. All right. So we are going back to 1963, long before I was. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What What book are you doing? I'll give it away here in a minute. Do you not have the book? I don't even know what the book is. I shared it. I don't in even know what you're talking about. I shared it on Facebook. I, I was have asleep. It. I have it right in front of me. I'm looking. <laughs> I was asleep. Oh, Lord Almighty. Then go to our, our private chat on Facebook. And, you and then get... you'll yell at me and go, why are you on Facebook? See, it's a trap. You're it's failing. A trap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. I will tell you in a moment what we are covering here. So, oh, my God. Uh, cover I, date on this is simply just 1963. The on-sale date, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, was June 11th, 1963. Cover price of 25 cents. time for me. <laughs> and this is Strange Tales Annual Number 2. 72 big pages for 25 cents. That just makes me want to cry. Strange brew. <laughs> Cover by Jack Kirby and Salt. Shut up! Jesus. <laughs> it's got a constipated human torch on the cover. You know, I actually have Ben's phone number. I think I'm going to call him and say, please go in the other room and take the Mountain Dew out of your dad's hand. Could you please? I would be eternally grateful. I, there's nothing here on Facebook. Yeah, there is. I got the message. Oh, for God. I'm well, just, I have to just put up me. With... No, um, there's nothing here. All right, hang on. Good. Yeah, the you sent it. You only sent it to me, Scott. You didn't. Send are we it. still recording? <laughs> yes, we are. Because I, I want the listeners to hear, and and hopefully this will cure all further talk of leave Bill alone. Be nice to Bill. You guys are so mean to Bill. Oh, Bill's geez. not an idiot. <laughs> Have we ever got? I don't think we've ever gotten that one. <laughs> no, it would be a first. All right. So, Strange Tales Annual Number Two. Cover by Jack Kirby and Saul Brodsky, and I really like this cover. It is really cool. So you have a giant web sprung up between uh, two buildings, strung up, rather, between two buildings. You've got Spider-Man very much doing a, I'm going to get you. He looks like he's going to, like, have a tickle fight with the Booga, 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 booga. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he looks a little chunky in that picture, too. He does. So does the torch. Before. They both yeah. look chunky. Yeah, they do. Oh, he's got no, he's also got me? no chest spider. Oh, you're right. I didn't even notice that. And, and his his right. he's got his his underarm webs are scalloped. You're right. <laughs> yeah, they're like bat wings. You're right. Well, the one on the that would be his left arm. The one under his left arm is, but the other one's not, though. Yeah, that is weird. I never even noticed that. You're right. You are scalloping. Oh, <laughs> he's kind of kicking up his back <laughs> back leg as if he's going to kick the torch in the face. <laughs> See, I have a great fondness for this version of the Human Torch because I had the Human Torch Mego action figure. Akashin. Mm. figure. And he was modeled on this version of the Torch, you know, with the with the heat lines and all that. And I, I love that thing. But here's what I've never understood about this version of the Human Torch is that it has the lines on him, even though he's on fire, 
you can still clearly make out the line of his glove, the line of his shorts and his boots and everything, then why isn't there a four on his chest? That always used to drive me crazy. Why didn't they put the four on his chest? Because you should still be able to see that, right? When he's on fire? You'd think. I'm on fire! You see his freaking underwear. Why wouldn't you see that? Yeah, exactly. You know, so you see his flaming shorts. But he's you don't freaking grandma shorts. <laughs> he does. He has granny, granny bloomers on. You are I love burning! The, <laughs> I love the... Uh, the cover copy on this, it says, The Amazing Spider-Man Face-to-Face with the Human Torch. This long-awaited epic-length thriller is only one of the many wonderful features within these unforgettable pages. So that's actually code for, yeah, it doesn't fill the whole 72 pages, kids. Sorry about that. The Marvel Comics group ushers in the Marvel Age of Comics. So the uh, title on this one is On the Trail of the Amazing Spider-Man. Writer is Stan Lee. Penciler is Jack Kirby. Inker... Steve Ditko. So Ditko inking Kirby. And letter is Art. He's just credited here as Art Simek. It's Artie Simek, but he's credited just as Art. So in the backyard of his Glenville, Long Island home, Johnny Storm is put through his paces as the Human Torch by his Fantastic Four teammate and sister, Sue, as he navigates an obstacle course and practices his powers. Later inside, Johnny is pissed off to find that the new hero, Spider-Man, has an entire issue of Live, or is it Live magazine? I'm not sure. Live or Live magazine devoted to him. Levey. Levey. Jealous of the attention the press is giving the webbed wonder, hot-headed Johnny says he'd give anything for a chance to prove Spidey ain't so hot. Meanwhile, the Fox and his men pull off the heist of a Da Vinci painting from the Museum of Art, and because a guard finds a spiderweb at the scene of the crime, Spider-Man steals priceless painting is soon the headline on every paper in the city. Soon, Spider-Man hears of this and naturally decides the only way to clear himself is to find the real thief. But he's going to need help and decides that fellow teenager uh, Johnny Storm is just the guy to ask. Winging his way by both uh, train and web, Spidey eventually arrives at the Storm residence just as Sue is heading into the city to meet with Ben and Reed. Once she's gone, he crawls to Johnny's window and peers in just as the teen hero is taking a call from the police chief asking for his assistance in helping track down Spider-Man. Assistance Johnny is more than eager to give. Turning at the sound of someone snooping around outside, Johnny flames on, flies out the window, and suddenly... In classic Marvel simple misunderstandings leading to heroes that are meeting for the first time gotta fight style, it is on. And it is an epic clash. From the Human Torch's swimming pool, to a nearby forest, to a construction site, both heroes really get a chance to shine and show off their various superhuman abilities, including Peter Parker's science know-how and whipping up some specialized ice webbing. All illustrated with dynamic flair and great action by Kirby and Ditko, who really met or, or who mesh rather really, really well on the art. Eventually, Spider-Man gets the upper hand and manages to snare the torch in his special webbing just long enough to try to convince Johnny of his innocence. Disgust, disgusted by the uh, torch's presumptions of him, Spider-Man swings off to go it alone. Taken aback by Spider-Man's words, Johnny proceeds to the police precinct where he learns of another robbery a half an hour ago with webbing left behind at the scene of the crime. Realizing that he was fighting with Spider-Man during that time, Johnny now knows that the webhead was telling the truth and so lights up the sky in his own inimitable style with the flaming message, Spider-Man, let's work together. Later in what will eventually become their established meeting place, 
the fiery teen follows the spider symbol to uh, Lady Liberty's torch, where he finds Spider-Man casually chilling out on the statue's crown waiting for him. Through a ridiculous and completely ludicrous total leap in logic, the Human Torch and Spider-Man know just who their foe is and set off on a series of wild goose chases to find the lair of the fox. It does all make for some exciting action scenes, though, including the duo almost getting hit by a train pursuing their quarry through the subway. Using his spider sense as a sort of uh, art thief GPS, Spidey and the Torch are able to play connect the dots through a series of... Uh, the fox's secret hideouts until finally uh, chancing across the one containing his ex-henchman. The goons, spiteful of having been double-crossed, rat out their boss, and in Central Park, their first ever Marvel team-up concludes when the fox discovers that not even rocket skates can outrun Spider-Man and the Human Torch. Yes, I said rocket skates. Um, now, this one... Uh, Full disclosure here, you know, I, I talked before about I'm, I'm doing a read through of Marvel Comics right from the very beginning. You know, I started with uh, with FF number one and I'm just kind of slowly making my way through, you know, casually when I have some spare time. I read this one about a week ago. And despite the fact that it is reprinted, this story is reprinted in Giant Size Spider-Man, a book that I own and that it is marked as red in my collection. I had no memory of this story whatsoever. So essentially, to my mind, this is my first time reading it, and I just got to say, I friggin' love this story. I really, really like this. From the writing to the arts to, I mean, everything, this was a top-to-bottom great read. You know, despite the villain being, I mean, who the hell is the fox? I never heard of him. I don't know if he ever comes back or anything. He was a pretty lame-ass villain. So despite, you know, the villain being pretty lame, and the plot, you know, I mean, it's about a stolen Da Vinci painting. Who gives a shit? It, it was really what it was all about. It was about first Spider-Man and the Torch fighting and then slowly not really becoming friends so much as kind of, you know, they, they have a sort of grudging mutual respect for each other. But their relationship is actually much like the relationship of the Torch and Ben, you know, where you can tell that they actually do like each other. Yet they're never going to admit it to one another. They're still going to constantly throw digs and barbs at one another through the whole thing. And I, I really like that. It works maybe even better between Spider-Man and the Torch than it does between Johnny and, and Ben because they're of the same age and, you know, they're both guys and they're both, uh, you know, heroes who, despite what they say, they really do crave the limelight and the attention uh, and, and that sort of thing. So I, I really like the dynamic between them. I mean, I've always liked Spider-Man and Human Torch team-ups anyway, but now to have really gotten a chance to read the very first one and find out that it's so, you know, it's just so much fun in, in that classic uh, Lee and Kirby style, you know, with a, with a smidgen of Ditko thrown in there. I, I was just really delighted to read this. I really, really enjoyed it. Even the, the stupid uh, stuff that happens and, you know, because there are some really dumb things that happen in a couple instances. Even that was so easy to forgive because the overall experience was just so much goddamn fun. I just loved reading this. So uh, have you guys read this before? What do you think of it? Uh, no, I hadn't read it before. Um, have or haven't? I couldn't hear you, Bill. Oh, no, have not. Although I jumped ahead and I think the second story that's in here we covered on another show. Oh, really? Yeah, about I Was an Invisible Man. Did we do that for like Halloween or something, Paul? Yeah, I think we did. I think that was uh, reprinted in Giant Size Man thing. 
Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, we each took a story from that one. Yeah. Uh, I I miss the uh, oh the days of when one wire would cut off all the electricity in a in a three block radius, <laughs> and it's just strung up between two houses. You know, ping, ping, ping. Whoops, no power. And the leap of logic. Or is it? There's a giant spider web here. Well, maybe you hit. Maybe you sure. Maybe you guys just needed to clean. How do we know? <laughs> Must there, have been Spider Man. <laughs> there's several of those big leaps in logic. That was a big one because I, I caught that right away when the when the security guard is like, "Hey, look a web. It must have been Spider Man who sp- stole the ping." And I'm like, maybe the place is just dusty. Maybe the maid. It's sucks, a museum. You know? Maybe it's a yeah. real spider. And then yeah. you know the other one that that really made me kind of crazy was um, after Spider Man. You know, it's basically, all right, screw you, Johnny. And he wanders off and Johnny decides, well, I got nothing else to do. Let me go check in with the chief. So and he, so he had nowhere else to go? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. <laughs> So Officer and a gentleman. he goes and talks to the police chief. And once he figures out that Spider-Man can't be responsible, he says that to the chief. And then it says, after long minutes of painstaking scrutiny, you see the chief pulling a file out of a cabinet. He goes, the fox. Why didn't I think of him before? This has all the trademarks of one of his capers. And I'm yeah. like, and so does the chameleon. And, you know, there's probably a laundry list of other people that, you know, suspects that it could be. You know, so yeah, exactly. Well, one other thing is that he then takes that piece of paper to Spider-Man at their meetup, but you don't see like he unflames his hand and carries it. And Spider-Man even says something about the paper being hot when he hands it to him. Right. So it's like, where was that paper at? <laughs> it was stuff in his well, pants. It was in a simulated roller coaster with his asbestos <laughs> wallet. Yeah. I just realized on this card that the chief is holding that the fox's real name is Reynard Slinker. Slinker? Really? Slinker? Fox? Slinky? Uh, The ad on the inside cover. Is that Boris Karloff drawing there? What is that? (laughs) Wait a minute. Is the fox... Is is he... Oh, man. Now there's a story that's tickling my brain. (laughs) He's the penguin on a diet. That's not... He doesn't have some relation to Silver Sable, does he? I, you know what? I think he does. From, I think you're right. I think there's, they, they from, did retcon some some relationship there. Because I'm thinking mm-hmm. of a story from the Stern and I want to say Friends, I think, was the artist from that era. Why can't we be friends? That's a story with Silver Sable that starts out where the fox is climbing up. A building like like he's a cat burglar or something like that. I, I'm not. You know what? I'm thinking it's not the fox. I'm thinking it's another cat burglar like type. A gray fox or something. Oh, the cat, isn't it? The 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 I black got, cat's father. Yeah, maybe that's who it is. I got to look this up now because it's going to make me nuts. But I'm looking up Raynard Slinker. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Paul? What do you What do you think? Well, when you uh, disclose this as your issue, uh, it was about. Oh, what, maybe about 40 minutes before we uh, connected on this. Right. I didn't actually have a chance to pull it out, and I've kind of paged through it, uh, you know, just quickly. I didn't get a chance to read it in depth. But I would say it's been somewhere between 30 and 40 years since I read this. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, you know, if nothing else, it was pretty memorable because as I read it, it was like, oh, yeah, okay, I remember all of this. 
Looks like uh, he came back. Oh, sorry. Spider-Man Unlimited number five. So he came back in 1994. He came uh, back as, earlier than that because I found the one I was thinking of. It is oh, a Ron Friends issue. I'm not sure if Stern is the writer or not, although I imagine he probably is. I'm, I'm looking at uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 265. Oh, because this just had, had his first and last appearance. All right, so his last appearance was uh, Spider-Man Unlimited number five. Sorry. Oh, okay. And the reason so, yeah. this this stuck out in my mind is that this was during the black suit era of Spider-Man. When this is when this is when I was actually buying Spider-Man, like off the stands and everything. And it just says uh, the Fox is back, and Spidey's got to save him. And it shows the Fox, and he looks completely different than here. He, uh, you know, doesn't look like the Penguin. No, no, he looks. I don't. I'm not sure how to describe what he looks like. He he kind of looks similar to um, Slade Wilson when he doesn't have his mask on, but he has a a red outfit, like a cat burglar outfit, and he's being shot at by some goons down below, and it's like they're knocking him off the building, and Spider Man's reaching out to catch him, kind of thing. But I think this. I'm almost positive this does have something to do with Silver Sable. I think she's part of that story. Now, whether she's connected to him or not, I don't remember. Or maybe, you know what, you got you might be right. Maybe she maybe he was actually um the cat uh black cat's father. But I think he is connected to somebody. I, I just can't remember. It's been so long since I've read that stuff, but but yeah, I didn't I didn't put that together till till just this moment. But if it is the same fox, he looks completely different than he looks in this issue. Can you look up character? Char- you can look up characters of Mike's Amazing World, but I don't oh, yeah. know the Fox. Yeah. So anyway, Le Fox, Pepe Le Pew, the cat. So had you the ever French. read this before? Yeah, Paul? yeah, that's what I'm saying. I had I had read it probably somewhere between thirty and forty years ago, probably uh-huh. closer to forty. But uh, I remember reading, you know, reading it as a, young, a much younger person and, and and enjoying it, and reading it now, it kind of all came back to me. And, and I'm, you know, I'm reading it and I'm kind of looking at it and thinking, okay, you know, it's a very simple story with, you know, a lot of convenient tur- twists and turns throughout it. There's nothing, you know, too too heavy on it, but that's, you know, it's Silver Age. Uh, and it, it does have a, a, a historic aspect to it because of the whole meeting between the Human Torch and, and Spider-Man and at the time, you know, the two teenage heroes. And, and there was something... To be excited about at that you know level as well. Now at the time I had read this, you know, you'd already gotten to the point of you know Marvel team up having several issues with them together. That's a pro- that's probably about where the relationship was when I read this. So it was still kind of cool to read it from that point of view. Looking at it now, I have a level of appreciation that I didn't have at that time for the way that uh, Ditko compliments Kirby, and I, I really do like that. There's a couple of shots in here that are. Uh, superior to what it looked like. Not all of them, but some of them are superior to what some of the stuff he was doing on the Fantastic Four, and I'm crediting Ditko for some of that. I really like the shots of uh, Peter Parker making the, uh, the the special webbing. You know, he, he kind of made Peter Parker look a little bit more muscular than he was in, on, under Dis- Ditko, but still mm. not. He didn't lose, lose that uh, that lithe you know, gymnast kind of look about him that, that he had under Ditko. Yeah, he doesn't look completely like emaciated he's not emaciated but he's not muscle bound either uh-huh he looks like somebody who you think could actually pull off the stuff that spider-man's doing so that's mm-hmm. that's kind of a cool aspect to it uh you know I'm, I'm not crazy about the character model of the fox like i said he reminds me too much of the penguin but in the stand the story's dopey and then they have my my Sagosto or indian in there <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that yeah 
my spider sense senses uh, there's something coming from that wooden Indian. And then it's kind of funny at the very end when they when he does catch him, he's wearing like a real you know like a real little kid Halloween style mask. We complete yeah. complete with the little uh, elastic band in the back to hold it on the back of your head. So so what was he? False face from the Batman. False face played by question mark. Ooh. Yeah, but it was actually. Uh, Alakaitha. Uh, yeah. Yep. Who played Commodore Mendez? Commodore Mendez, and he was also uh, wasn't he Pardeck. Pardeck? Yep. Stop me before we tangent again. You, you didn't tell him what it's from. Oh, that would be uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation and Batman. And Star Not Trek: The Original one. Series. Star, yeah, Star Trek: The Original. Yeah, Star, no. Oh, yes, you're right. Yeah, the original series and the Next Generation, and and as uh, False Face in Batman. Bill's doing the research, ladies and gentlemen, so you don't have to. Not even researching, just pulling right out of my head. Wow. Like pulling it's, myself from that chair. That is nothing left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. And I don't know any any more. Discussion of this story? That's all I got. I was trying to look up more stuff on this Fox guy. He is not the same one from that story. Um, mm. That that one is actually the Black Fox, who is a completely different person. So I don't know if this Fox ever appears again or not. Not to be confused with the Red Fox. The <laughs> right. <laughs> I was right, though, that that other story does have uh, Silver Sable in it. So How about the Silver Fox? Uh, no. <laughs> All right, so, so are we ready were those to... were those Acme rocket skates? Yeah, that that part of the story I could have lived without was the. Or did he borrow those from Iron Man? Zip. <laughs> oh my God! I just read an Iron Man story today. It was um, Tales of Suspense. I think it was forty-seven. I think I think it was the last one with the old uh, clunky golden armor, and he was using the rocket skates to like zip th- down the highway, just headed somewhere, and I was like, oh my God. So Zip down the highway. Was it faster than solar power? Yeah, evidently it was. Mm. But oh my god! What was funny was there was a car like right on his ass too. That that was funny. If I could find the beep pan- beep beep, come yeah, on, exactly. move it, come on. He's gonna make like Indiana Jones going underneath. It. <laughs> you just hold on to the bumper like Marty McFly. All right, are we ready to grade this thing? You you go ahead. All right, so. I, you know, I really like the cover on this, but now that you pointed out all the mistakes with Spider-Man, and the Human Torch does look really wonky. It looks like his shoulder's been dislocated or something. So Ow. I, while I really do like it, I do have my quibbles with it as well. Um, and I, I do not like the coloring on the words Strange Tales. Like, they, they decided to use all different colors, and it just looks kind of weird, but... I don't know. It is still cool. It is still semi-iconic, despite the mistakes on it and everything. So I, I think I'd go with a, I think I'd go with a B minus. There's definitely room for improvement, but it is pretty cool and it is uh, semi-iconic, I guess. So I do really like the cover. Um, interior art. Yeah, I mean, you guys know me. You know, I'm not the biggest Kirby fan in the world, but I love this. I really like the interior art on this because. Uh, you know, during this time, pretty much the only person drawing Spider-Man in, in Spider-Man books is Ditko. And I can see the Ditko in Spider-Man. So this is kind of like, you know, Kirby's FF or at least Kirby's Human Torch meeting Ditko's Spider-Man. And I, that's cool, you know, because those are two very disparate art styles, yet they blend really, really well. And I, I really like uh, the art in this. 
I was really impressed by the sequence where Peter goes to the lab and creates the ice webbing. That I thought was pretty neat. Um, the art's really good in that part, and I like that part of the story as well. Because I can remember there was a Spider-Man video game years ago. I think it was for PlayStation or something where he had ice uh, ice webbing as one of his weapons. And I thought they just made that up for that game. But, I mean, it goes back all the way back here to, uh, you know, 1963. So that's actually pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, talking about the art, um, I'm going to go... I'm going to go, I think, a, um, I don't know, it's hard to say because, you know, it's, I was going to say, you know, there's room for improvement, but I mean, for art of this particular time, this is pretty standout for the time. So I, I think I'm going to go with a, with an A minus. I really do like the art in this particular issue. I was quite impressed with it. I, I think it really looks good and it's very dynamic. Um, and then the story Despite the sillier elements and, like I said before, the lame-ass villain and the fact that they don't really fight a villain, they more they spend more time fighting each other than anything else. And some of the vast leaps in logic and some of the just overall silliness where the fox disguises himself as an old lady and all this stupid shit that happens. At the end of the day, I had an absolute blast reading this. I, just, I thought it was a lot of fun and I really had a good time and, and enjoyed it quite a bit. So... Uh, the story, I'm going to give the story a straight up A. I really did dig it. You know, uh, I, I'll not give it an A minus because there's there is that wonkiness in there. I'll take the that point off for the wonkiness, but uh, I did enjoy it. So I'm going to go uh, overall grade of uh, of a B. I think. I mean, well, actually, I think I'll go a B plus. B plus. Room for improvement, but I really did dig it. I thought it was a lot of fun, and it was neat to see the origin of. Uh, Spidey and uh, the Human Torch meeting at the Statue of Liberty. I always wondered where that precedent was set, and it was set right here in their first meeting, so that's pretty cool. All right. Um, I like the cover, but the deficiencies really do jump out at me. There's, there's some, some of Spider-Man actually looks almost amateurish. You could almost, you could almost see that drawing, you know, in pencil on on a piece of loose leaf by by a you know by a young fan. Uh, the torch, however, does. I think the torch looks pretty good. Even, you know, his his positioning is kind of strange, but I think that's indicative of him being trapped in the web. Right. So I don't really have a yeah. problem with that. It's if more Spider-Man to, that I have the problem with. If you go to page twelve of the art, he's almost in that exact same pose when Spider-Man catches him. Okay. It's a little bit different, but he's still in the yeah. same awkward, twisted sp- spot. So it, it's that's kind of nice that yeah. it's a scene right. that's in the book. Kind of. Yeah. The the perspective on it looks a little screwy with the buildings. Where's this web actually attaching itself to? Whatever. That that's mm-hmm. kind of minor. It's nitpicky. I'm not really too worried about that. Uh, like I said, it's, it's more the Spider-Man image that that is that takes away from it. Uh, and and I agree with you that the the coloring in the letters doesn't really do anything at all to add to it. There's also you know a lot of busyness as far as the words on the cover. They could have done without, you know, the Marvel Comics group ushers in the Marvel Age of Comics. Oh, I like that, though. Uh, I, I like the expression. I just don't think it necessarily belongs on this cover. I, I don't think you needed quite as much of the of the cover text as you have. You really could have gotten away with just the Amazing Spider-Man face-to-face with the Human Torch and left it at that. I think that was, that was enough of a selling point right there. So the cover... Uh, Almost despite the deficiencies that I'm talking about, I really like. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a B minus on the cover. The interior art, I'm with you. I really like the interior art. I think it, it works well. I think 
you know, Kirby layouts with with Ditko, you know, clean lines work together very well. Uh, there's a couple of points where it's almost overly simplistic, but for the most part, I think it's really solid. So I'm going to say I'm going to say just a, a I would almost go B plus, but I'm going to just go solid B on the artwork. I think it's it's really nice. You know, it's not among the best ever, but it's really nice. Story, uh, the, the the whole Fox story just could have been so much better. The, the it, it's almost like a tale of two stories. The whole Spider-Man meeting the Human Torch thing is really really cool. The Fox thing is almost just throwaway, and and you could have you could have had a much better villain, could have had a much better story of them fighting the villain. So it's going to lose a little something on that. I'm going to say a B minus on the story, and I'm going to give it overall a B minus. Cool. Um, the one thing I really like on the front cover is the corner box, the shot of the torch right there. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty sleek looking, very nice, clean human torch. Um, yeah, Spider-Man, though, looks a little beefy. Uh, he's like uh, like he might not fit in a uh, cyber roller coaster. <laughs> Wouldn't fit in the spider buggy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think I'd fit in the spider buggy either. So, um, uh, yeah, the, the colors make it kind of weird with, like you said, with the, you know, you know, with the letters, but it's not a bad cover. So, I mean, just, just for that, I think I'm going to have to give it middle of the road average C, um, the interior art. There's some certain panels I really like in here. And one that sticks out is when Spider-Man's, I don't know if he's on top of, uh, yeah, he's on, he's on top of the chimney. And then in the next one, he he's like running down the side. But your perspective is like if you're looking down the chimney and you see Spider-Man running down towards the ground on the chimney. Um, for some reason, I kind of like that shot. It's you know for it's a pretty cool shot for this time frame early on in Marvel Comics. Um, probably uh, uh, the best candidate for. Um, out of context photos that you could use in this is on page seven where Spider-Man's peeking in the window and the human torch is ready to nail him from behind or something there. I don't know if you, (laughs) (laughs) I'll just sip out and grab his legs as I pass him. Hey, he's faster. than I thought, Whoa, wait, I want to talk to you. Anyway, this is just a rather embarrassing pose for Spider-Man. Um, but overall, um, for the overall art of the book, uh, I'm going to give it a B just for my own preference. And the story, mm, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of silly, but, but that was his time. Uh, so I'm going to give the, the story as uh, a B as well. So that makes it two B's and a C. We'll call it a B minus overall for the book. Cool. I think that's fair. I think we're all pretty close in our grades, really. Mm-hmm. Can I just say that, you know, it, it's so nice to have finally read and actually enjoyed, and, and in this instance, really loved a strange tale story. Because as I'm going on this this read-through project, the two that have been a serious struggle for me are the Tales to Astonish Ant-Man stories and the Human Torch Strange Tale stories. They have been really rough to get through but this one i dug this one was cool you are astonishing oh sorry it just doesn't fit (laughs) all right who's got the next book all right bill you you want to do yours or should i do mine uh it doesn't matter to me 
whichever you want to do. I can save mine till next time. Or next time can... on an all new. <laughs> what's the oh. What's the next one chronologically speaking? Uh, that would be me. And also, I have a DC, so let's let's go with mine. Okay, let's do them both. We got time, don't we? Yeah, I think we may. Right. Let's. Well, we'll do mine, and we'll see how how we're doing for time at that point. Says the guy that does I, not work tomorrow. I have a written synopsis, so it won't be that bad. Yeah, that's what you said last time. No, last time I did not have a written. You synopsis. said it would not be so bad, but I didn't have a written synopsis. But you were wrong. <laughs> Is it safe? Okay, so I have Superboy number one ninety seven. And as as my confusion not ninety seven. Are you sure whoa, whoa, it's not ninety seven? Wait a minute. Scott's book is sixty three. Paul's book is seventy three, and my book is eighty three. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, I just I just I just noticed that. Mind blown. Wow. Sorry. So, it's Superboy number one ninety seven, and I accidentally told Scott ninety seven. But you told me Legion of Superheroes ninety seven, and there's only ever been one of those, and it's not this issue. I'm just editing you out anyway. <laughs> so it's superboy starring the legion of superheroes and from my own perspective i always thought of that as superboy and the legion of superheroes which the, the the series really didn't become until i don't know how many issues later at this point technically it was still superboy uh but anyway it's from september of 1973 and it cost 20 cents uh the on sale date is june 19th 1973 it's got a cover by Nicholas Peter Cardi, as per Mike's Amazing World. And it shows Timberwolf kind of manhandling his fellow Legion members, uh, including, let's see, we got Brainiac 5, we have Chameleon Boy, we have Saturn Girl. I think that's, is that, it's not Dreamless. I'm not sure who, Phantom Girl, something. We got Ultra Boy, and then we got uh, Pink Wearing Lad, as Superboy is kind of coming out of him. He's talking about the cover here? Yeah. Oh, for God's sake. Let me help you out. You've got... Wait, who the hell is that? Yes. <laughs> wait. Oh. Oh, the color... Yeah, the coloring's all screwed up, because I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be... Pink-wearing lad. No, the the girl. The girl that's coming in from the left-hand side. She's Dream colored is? like Phantom Girl, but that's... Not I sure. I think who's, who's, that's yeah, that's not right. But yeah, the pink who's one. Pink, I, who's pink wearing boy on the bottom? That is, I want to say Element Lad. I think that's Element Lad. Okay, I thought it. Yeah, it's a girl. I don't know who the hell. That is. <laughs> so he's he's manhandling these guys with kind of a blue background, and the only one who he's not really manhandling is Superboy, who's approaching from the back to the left, uh, and then it makes sense because he probably couldn't beat up Superboy the way he's handling these other guys. I'm not so sure he could beat Ultra Lad like that either, and he's down on the ground recovering from a pummeling. Well, there's a point, not to spoil ahead, but there is a part in the book that kind of took me aback because I I consider myself pretty familiar with this particular era, but Timberwolf uh, has always been, to me, one of those kind of enigmas of the team. I don't really know that much about him, and I never really liked him all that much. But there's a moment in the story where Monel, it's either Monel or Superboy, says, "Remember, he's, he's almost as strong as we are. Almost as strong as us." And I'm like, "What? Yeah. Timber friggin' Wolf? Okay, whatever." By the way, that girl, I was right. It's she's miscolored, but she's supposed to be Duo Damsel. That's who she's supposed to. Yeah, be. And yet, yet she's she's not really making much good use of her superpower there. Yeah, exactly. She's not splitting. I'll up. just stay one. Don't worry. But wait, you do you just called her miscolored? So is she Duo Damsel or miscolored? Sorry. What? Miss colored. Oh, uh, I Miss... gotcha. 
that should have been a yeah. It's it's no worse than arm fall off boy, which was actually a real thing. So yeah. Well, you know, Saturn girls miscolored too. Of course, it's supposed to be nighttime, so maybe that's what's going on. I don't know, but yeah, Saturn girls not colored properly either because her outfit's supposed to be. Pink. There's no rhyme or reason to the coloring. Here. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not right. Because some of them are their correct colors, some of them aren't. Nighttime. He's, he's just kind of balancing Chameleon Boy on his hand, like, yeah, you you can't do anything anyway. What are you gonna do? Change shape? Who cares? Well, Cam's not even in the story, is he? Unless I missed him. I don't remember. Why don't we look at the? Why don't we get into the story and find <laughs> out? <laughs> so what a story, novel idea! The story is written by Carrie Bates, and the art is by Dave Cockrum. Any other credits aren't really necessary. So the splash page shows the president of Earth, kind of cringing away from Timberwolf who's lunging at him and being held back by Superboy and Monel. How did we get to this situation? As with all the comics of this era, you'd have to read on to know. So we, we, we open the story in uh, Smallville where a Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen dressed Superboy is hanging out under the tree with Lana and acting really, really weird because she's, she's basically asking him to do her. And he's getting all sweaty and nervous about it. And then what he does is he uses his his heat vision to sever an apple from the apple tree so that it'll land on her head. What are they made? What are they gold? Gold apples? And, and he says, like I expected, the falling apples knocked out Lana, knocked Lana, knocked Lana out temporarily. So basically, what he did was knock her out temporarily instead of knocking her up full time. So, yeah. See the the way this starts i hear like the you know you know the music with the birds going on yeah it practically goes right into why why is he so afraid to even give her a kiss which is what she's basically asking he's sweating yeah he's 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 not faking it this isn't the i'll pretend to be a meek guy to you know to make you think i'm not superboy this is i really don't know how to deal with a girl actually liking me so anyway, he gets a an emergency call on his very very wide belt from the. Tell leech. me that doesn't have some connotations to it. You know, this is going on all of a sudden. Your groin tingles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotta go. Gotta change my pants. So Superboy travels into the future to meet up with the Legion and respond to their call. Mm-hmm. And when he does, he he meets up with a Timberwolf with hugely bushy eyebrows who he thought was dead. And turns out that he's alive. So they want to know how he's still alive, considering that he was there when a planet exploded. But Timberwolf says, I don't know. I just found myself on Earth again, and I don't remember anything until yesterday. So, that said, he goes to sleep in his little bed. They check him out. They say everything looks good with him. But Monel, looking kind of like Gary Seven, uh, doesn't, doesn't seem to really trust him. So he's keeping an eye on him. Then we get to a very Jim Starlin-esque page where Timberwolf can't fight an urge that he's given. And as the president comes to meet up with him to give him a uh, an award for, I guess, for being alive, uh, all of a sudden he decides to start to kill the president. And he grabs him by the hand and starts swinging him around like a yo-yo. Superboy and Monel give chase. And so Timberwolf kind of became like Reggie Jackson in the Naked Gun movies. Yeah, exactly. I, I, must, I must kill the president. <laughs> I must kill the queen. So in, as he's swinging the president by his arm at an incredible speed. Snap! And, and somehow keeping his arm in the socket. I don't know how it's possible. But uh, the, 
But Superboy and Monel are concerned because at any point he could let go of them and send them flying in any direction. And they say at that speed, the terrific air friction would burn him alive. So to combat this, they defy physics. And and Monel pulls Superboy's cape in a circle around the figure being swung like that so that his cape will catch him, which it then does. So, having rescued the president, they start to check out Timberwolf again, and they find out that they've cured him of his brainwashing, although he does get some of his memory back at this point. He remembers a vague figure saying that he detonated the asteroid that had purportedly killed him and then rescued him so that he could brainwash him to kill the president. So, strangely enough, they think, okay, all is good now, but then when they leave him alone, he decides to flip some sort of switch that's going to make the Legion headquarters explode, because every headquarters should just have a switch like that. (laughs) So, Saturn Girl is following him because she suspected there might be a problem, and at that point we find the true villain of the piece, Tyr, who has a mustache and mohawk to die for, shows up and says, Yes, I was the one who did this, and Timberwolf was my accomplice! So, but somehow... (laughs) You must have subjected him to a double brainwashing. Yes, that was his whole plan, was to brainwash him, have them figure it out, but then have the double secret brainwashing that that was going to get the headquarters destroyed. Anyway... The uh, Timberwolf manages to regain his consciousness or regain his own uh, will because he gets hit in the head and that somehow kills the brainwashing. So he attacks Tyr, throws him into uh, some sort of electrical panel. Then he leaps over and shuts off the self-destruct switch that he had turned on and all is better and everybody's good now. So I'm really torn by this because I think this may be one of the stupidest stories ever. And yet I love the artwork in it. So I, I don't know where to go on this thing. Uh, I, I had this. This is the oldest issue of the Legion that I have. And uh, I, no, actually, no, I think I do. I, well, I have some from Adventure Comics, but this is the oldest of the Superboy in the Legion ones that I have. And uh, it's always the cover's always had a special place for me. And I don't, rem- I don't know if I ever read it before because I don't remember the story. And I certainly don't remember thinking it was as dumb as I do now. <laughs> But, it, but I'm looking at the Dave Cockrum art, and it, it almost reminds me of a combination of some Dave Cockrum, some Jim Stalin, and some Mike Grell. Mm. And for me, that's a, that's a hell of a combination. So just looking at the pretty pictures, I like this book. Reading the story, not quite so much. What do you boys think? Yeah, I see your your Jim Stalin reference. And I raise it, no, but where, where Mon-El's got the Gary Seven look to him is kind of Stalin-esque, and the 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 him fighting his brainwashing is uh Starlin-esque. Starlin-esque-ish? Starlin-ish? Starlin-ish. Yeah. Starlin-ish. Skidoosh. Just keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's not annoying at all. <laughs> hey. It's a, it's like I it's like I do a podcast with Peter Griffin. <laughs> you ask a douching. Oh, sorry. So you were saying? What'd you think? Love me some Dave Cockrum. No, I do like. <laughs> ha! I just thought I was going to say something else. Yeah, I do. I haven't read a lot of his Legion stuff. Uh, I mainly know him from um, one of the first things of his I read was the Futurians graphic novel and um, uh, his work on the X Men. So I see the style where he got the style of his ships that I would later see in the X Men. 
mm-hmm. for like the Shi'ar, like that uh, the big Legionnaire um, ship that they're flying in. So it's pretty neat stuff. I'm just enjoying reading it. What do you think of the story? Um, it was the only the only thing that was really kind of fun, like pushed it over the top, was the whole double brainwashing thing. I mean, it wasn't that bad up till then. Um, one yeah, thing just, about just a simple brainwashing, I would have been okay with, but double secret brainwashing just kind of yeah pushed it towards you, totally stupid. You put on I double was make secret... the same joke, damn it! <laughs> you put double on double secret, secret brainwashing brain. since the beginning of the comic. <laughs> and that is Animal House for those of you who don't get it. <laughs> uh, Tear. What's funny is that Tear is, if I remember correctly, is the Norse god of war. Yes. I think. Okay, I believe yet, that's correct. Gene, Gene could let us know if we're wrong. Right. But here, he's drawn like the Marvel Ares God of War <laughs> with the Mohawk. At least the Ares of this time. Mm-hmm. So, now I want you to play There's a Tear in My Beer as the uh, music in the synopsis. Tears on my pillow. <laughs> tears in my... <laughs> Te- tears of a clown. <laughs> tears for Maybe fears. Maybe a tear has to fall. Before but the it's next all. teardrop falls. There's pl- there are plenty of tear songs. No problem there. There's a tear in my beer. And he's trying to take over the bar. So, what'd you think of it? <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. Which is why we're having so much fun making jokes of it. But no, it's... it's uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How could you argue with that? What do you think, Scott? What is with the coloring? Bill, Bill is kind of lost here. What oh, is geez. with the coloring on the cover? I mean, it's really yeah. I, I don't. I don't care. Superboy's right, but everybody else is. And what is that? Miracle, uh, the guy with the green, with the big, uh, with the green pants and the red shirt. Like he's right, but everybody else is like really off with their. That's I guess. Yeah, Brainiac Five looks right, but 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 Timberwolf's costume right. isn't even close in the color. I think Chameleon Boy, Superboy, Brainiac, and Ultra Boy are all bright. Everybody else is off. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. Well, plus, I'm not, I don't like this particular trade dress here. I think this is similar to when they were reprinting Legion stories right around this time. Um, there was a, I want to say it was a four issue um, Legion limited series that reprinted some of their other, you know, like their earlier stuff, I believe. I, I don't have that myself, so I could be wrong, but do you know what I'm talking about? Well, isn't this the same time frame that Marvel was doing the same style trade dress or dress to where they, the top half, like the comic was in a square, you know, and your top was all blocked off with the words. It would be a solid cover. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, I'm not sure of the exact dates on it, but it, it's not too far off. Yeah, but this is when. First. Yeah, this is when the Legion was kind of, kind of staging something of a comeback because it could be so great. call it a comeback. <laughs> but no, I really did like this. I don't remember having ever read this one before. I, again, I may have and just don't remember it. But I don't have this particular issue in my own collection. Um, <laughs> what are you laughing about? Model said, "Knock you out." <laughs> Get it? Monel. Oh, sorry. I just make myself laugh sometimes. We, we know. <laughs> Come on, that was good. Monel said knock you out. <laughs> Why was that good? But I, I do consider myself um, a big Legion fan and 
consider myself, you know, pretty well versed on Legion from this uh, from this time era, despite having not really any memory of this particular issue. Um, this is my le- my era of Legion, though. I, I love this stuff. Um, just some things that kind of jumped out to me here. Um, I'm not typically the biggest Dave Cockrum fan, but I really liked the art in this. I thought it looked really good. I was struck though the uh, this you know the opening splash page. The president of Earth looks like um, you know Count some fairy. Well, yeah, he looks like some weird love child of like you know Doctor Strange and the Green Arrow or something. He's <laughs> and with a touch of Uncle Sam in there. Right, he's got one funky outfit. That's for sure. He's uh, he's styling. Love those striped pants. Um, yeah, I never I never much cared for Timberwolf. And I, I think it's much the same reason that I didn't ever really like uh, Cockrum's Wolverine. They, they're kind of cut from the same cloth in, in so many similar ways. But, you know, it was an interesting story. The opening part with Lana Lang just had me cracking up, though, because, you know, he, you know she wants him. What the hell is wrong with him? Why isn't he going for it? And I don't know. He's such a he's drawn like such a complete dork in this whole that panel that fourth panel where he's looking up at the at the apple tree and using his heat vision he looks like john boy walton right there he just looks like such a big goober and she she actually wants to she actually says i spend more time with you uh than i do with most other boys and it's like why because <laughs> he's such a dork and then you know she's like oh so why don't you go ahead and kiss me and he's got sweat just pouring down his face and then the very next panel says unexpectedly Clark's bet belt buckle starts buzzing. I'm like, I'm sure it does. <laughs> but the problem is I think it didn't. What's he, that? He, he was, I don't think his belt buckle was buzzing nearly enough. He, he, was, <laughs> he, he wasn't interested. No, Maybe he, more interested uh, if Jimmy was there or Pete. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know what's up with that. And then to get out of it, he gives her brain damage. Oh, Jesus. No wonder she's so mental half the time in those old Superboy stories. He concuss her. I know exactly. He says, "Well, she'll be okay here, laying concussed while I travel off to the future." She'll only be unconscious temporarily. Then she'll wake up with her brain damage. Right. <laughs> what a wuss! She just said I can bang her with super speed and then go see what the what the Legion wants. Right. How much of a lightweight is she to be knocked out by two apples? Right. Yeah, I know. Those are some hard ass apples. I don't want Ooh, none of Clark. that. Clark. Oh. Well, plus, I know it's skipping way ahead in the story, but this one does that thing that I hate about DC time travel story, any time travel stories for that matter, but especially DC time travel stories from this era. When Superboy leaves on page 10, he tells Monel, he says, uh, I figure a groggy Lana Lang should be just coming to in my time era about now. I'm like, no, no, you can stay in the future for the next 5,000 years so long as you travel back to like, Exactly when you left, no time has passed. So no, she's not waking up. It's like, God, I hate that shit. That makes me nuts. You know, you would think that these guys that typically have such a good grasp of science fiction concepts could wrap their minds around such a basic thing as time travel. I just don't get that. Why do they always do that? Like, you know, time is still passing while I'm here in the future. I'm like, no, no, it's not. Anyway... Idiot. Really? What? I said, you idiot. You idiot. I really do like the art, though. I mean, I always judge Legion uh, stories by how they draw Superboy and how they draw Monel, and they both look really, really good. That shot of Superboy whizzing into the future is actually really cool. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> that 
that's a strong whiz right there. Somebody's standing uh-huh. there. Where the hell is this coming from? <laughs> that shot of Monel, that last panel. He's whizzing, wait, I'm just thinking, he's whizzing into the future. <laughs> he's staying where he is. He's just sending the, the, the piss over there. His piss is so fast. Look at Monel on that last panel on page five, though. He looks cool. He looks scary. He's got dark yeah, eyes, and that's that's that's, that's the Gary Seven reference to Gary Seven. Yeah, I like that. Robert Lansing. That is really cool. That Star Trek yeah, I, I like series this. for those of you not in the know. I'd like to know who inked it. I wish they had listed an inker. Uh, according to Mike's, it's Dave Cockrum. Did his own inking yeah. on it. So he did his own. Oh, okay. Mike's and Comic Book DB. I looked it up on both because sometimes you get discrepancies. Right, and they both they both credit Cockrum with thinking it himself. But yeah, I I did like this you know, again, despite the fact that I'm not the biggest uh, Timberwolf fan in the world and not the biggest Dave Cockrum fan. I, I did enjoy this. I can remember precious few tear stories. It's one of the Maybe reasons it always t- drove me. What's that? I was going to go back into singing tear again. <laughs> Well, it's one of the reasons it always drove me crazy that Tyr actually got an action figure out of that superpowers line. I'm like, really, Tyr? Who the hell knows wow. Tyr? I don't even know Tyr, and I read Legion of Superheroes, so it was kind of cool to see him pop up and do something. I didn't I'm know there was a Tyr in DC be... until mm-hmm. I read this. I didn't know there was a Tyr in DC until I read this. Yeah, just, this must be today. his first appearance because, um, what's her name, Saturn Girl, a founding member, has no idea who he is, so I'm imagining this must be his first appearance. I forgot to look that up, but... That seems a pretty logical conclusion. I can only remember him coming back much later, and I think it was actually, I think the first time I ever saw him, and maybe the only time I ever saw him, was there was a story that was reprinted. Remember when they were doing the the Baxter series for Legion, mm-hmm. but then it was being reprinted in Tales of the Legion? Yep. Because, yeah, like they did with New Teen Titans, right? Yeah, because exactly. not everybody could get the Baxter series. And I was getting tales because they didn't sell the Baxter series where I lived. And I remember there being a tear story there that got reprinted. And I think that's the first and only time I'd ever seen the guy. Mm. So yeah, it always mystified me why in the hell he was given an action figure when so many, so few people even knew who he was. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of rambling at this point. I, I dug it. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, are we doing grades? Okay. Uh, I think the cover's got... A lot of things about it that I shouldn't like. I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't like the trade dress. I don't like the coloring at all. And to some extent, Timberwolf's body looks a little uh, over two dimensional. Hmm. But despite that, I've always liked this cover. There's something about it, and I can't put my finger on it. But there's something about it that I like. I oh, you know what this cover is like, or may, maybe Byrne did an homage to with the one with the Gladiator holding up. It is very similar, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe you know, there may be even something about that that kind of, you know, I didn't realize and created a, a, an impression on me. I don't know. But there, like I said, there's something about it that catches my eye and, and pulls me in, and, and and I would buy this book for that. Uh, unlike Scott, I kinda li- I've always kind of liked Timberwolf. I discovered Timberwolf after Wolverine, and I always did like Wolverine. So there was, there was you know, some aspect of that, that it, in it for me. So I'm going to say a B for the cover, despite its deficiencies. The interior art, I really, I really like the interior art a lot. Like I said, to me, it's a combination of Dave Cockrum, Mike Grell, and, and Jim Starlin. And, and I can't think of, I can't think of a, too many combinations that I would enjoy more than, than this. Uh, surprisingly, the Smallville stuff I'm not as crazy about as the futuristic stuff. 
but just the same, I really, really like it. I'm going to say, I'm going to say an A minus on the interior art. I really like it. The story is just all kinds of dopey. There's just so many aspects of it that, that make you scratch your head and say, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> so, you know, from, from, from Clark turning down Lana's advances, I mean, it's not even like she's saying, you know, Clark, let's go to my room and, and do it. And he might be afraid that, you know, with his superpowers, he'd accidentally kill her or something. All she wanted to do was kiss him. I mean, come on. <laughs> Give me a break, Clark. Just kiss the girl. Uh, from that to the double brainwashing to pull the secret latch that will just destroy the whole thing because you pulled one freaking latch, the whole the whole headquarters is going to blow up and kill everybody in it. No, I'm sorry. It's just dumb. So I'm going to say a C- minus on the story. It's, it's, it's dumb. It, it's very easily read, but it's dumb. Uh, and overall, I'll give the book uh, a B-. minus. I just want to say that this is a 13-page story. And because this is, there's two stories in the book, uh, which we didn't cover the second one. But it's a 13-page story. And, and I was just thinking, all right, the first page, well, the page it takes not at, after the splash, the one with, with Lana and Clark, takes up one, one, one page. If this was today's comic, this whole, him getting back into the future, back or whatever, Going back to the future. This would be like half of an issue. This whole one page would probably be, you know, before we get started. And this whole story would probably, this probably 13-page story would be, what do you think, at least three issues? Probably. That that they would stretch this out to. It's just, the storytelling is is quick, concise, you know, you've, and and maybe that's because you've got multiple panels on each page. Whereas nowadays it's more with the one-page shot. Um, so with, with that, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going to the story first and I'm going to give, even though the story's a little goofy, I'm still going to give it a B. Um, the cover, it's, um, I, aside from the coloring being, being a little off, but then again, I wouldn't know that unless I look inside and see that the coloring's off. Um, uh, cause I wasn't that familiar with Timberwolf. Um, I'm going to give the cover a B as well. And the art. I'm I'm going to give the art an A just, you know, because Dave Cockrum and I can see, you know, where, like I said, I've seen his old, older work. I can see where he came from and, and, and it was good, good here as well. So uh, I guess that's two B's and an A. I guess that raises us to a B plus. Cool. cool. I did some quick homework here. Uh, this is Tears' first appearance. Um I was just satisfying my own curiosity more than anything. It says he comes back in just a couple of issues in Superboy 199, which I think I do have, and I sure don't remember him. So I guess well, there's that little his fist his fist took off, and there's something saying it's going to rescue his master, right? Like it's sentient or something, or maybe there's a midget inside there. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know what I don't know what that shit's all about. (laughs) I don't. I just don't remember. you know, I, I have a lot of these issues from this this time period, but of course, my my real fascination with the with the Legion really starts when when Grell comes along, which I think is like two o two or two o three, and then from there I, I have a solid run. So I'm I'm much more uh, a Mike Grell Legion fan than than this era. I have spotty issues of when Cochran was doing it, but Cochran. 
um, you know, he he deserves praise because I mean he was the guy that really brought the Legion back into prominence because up until this issue, they had been running kind of sporadically as a backup feature in Superboy, which you know, up until this issue, that you know, that was the title of the mag was just Superboy. And then starting with this issue, they started touting the Legion right there on the cover. So it quickly became, you know, Superman. Uh, and this one says starring the Legion of Superheroes. Eventually it would be Superboy and the Legion. And then eventually they would kick Superboy out and they would take over and it would just become the Legion of Superheroes. So they were gaining steam and gaining popularity. And while I've always personally credited a lot of that to Mike Grell, I mean, you you have to also, you know, highly credit Cockrum because he was really the one that started to really bring them back. He redesigned costumes and all that sort of thing. So you know, this is a, uh, historically, this is a very important issue just because this is when, you know, they kind of made it, you know, now they're back on the cover and, you know, their, their logos up there and all that sort of thing. But anyway, um, just strictly on the merits of this one issue, um, you know, I'm not crazy about the cover and it pains me to say so because I love Nick Cardi and I love Nick Cardi, uh, Superboy and Superman. I'm just, I'm not really nuts about this one. I, I like how Superboy looks. He looks just fine. I, I think the figure of, Timberwolf looks okay, and and Brainiac Five, and uh, you know Chameleon Boy held over his head, and the guys at his feet, and all that. It's just something about the the girls, and something about the whole background and the trade dress. Just I, I guess what it comes down to is coloring wise, it's just kind of an ugly cover. You know, the coloring choices all mashed together don't really work. It's just kind of you know I don't know, it's just not visually appealing color wise. But I don't know. I I think I'd give it a I think I'd give it a C plus. It, it's better than average, but could be a lot better. And, and again, a lot of that's the coloring. Uh, the interior art, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to give this a straight up A. It's it's fantastic. I really like this. And uh, there, there's some poses in here with particular characters that I just love. I mean, the opening splash, I was making fun of, uh, you know, President Doctor Strange there. But look at mon -El. That's how I like mon -El to look. Because Monel looks like a badass. I've I still like my favorite version of Monel is still the Monel who's kind of Superboy's big brother. You know, he's essentially Superboy, but but a bit older. You know, a bit more mature, and that's how he looks here. I mean, he's got you know the the bulging, rippling muscles, and you know you can see him straining to hold back uh, Timberwolf and all that. And he's got a real determined look on his face, and he just looks bad. I, I really like that. Um, I love how. Uh, Cockrum draws Lana Lang in that very first panel with her and Clark under the tree and Superboy, you know, streaking off into the future and all that. There's there's some really good stuff here. Um, his use of uh, inking and color, you know, when he's showing something that's metallic looks really good. And I, and I like that a lot, too. Um, the action sequence of Superboy and Mon-El, you know, my two favorite Legionnaires, uh, you know, saving the president and all that's really good. So, I mean, some fantastic art. I really did like the art in this. So straight up A on that. Uh, the story, eh, you know, it's kind of dumb. It's, you know, it does some weird and wonky things. But, I mean, it's no better or no worse than any other Legion story from this time. I mean... A lot of this, you know, I love the Legion, don't get me wrong. And this is my era of Legion from when I was a kid. But as I've been rereading this uh, as an adult and making my way through it, I come to realize that, you know, a lot of this was written for 
that age I was when I was a kid. It doesn't hold up very well now through adult eyes. A lot of the stories are quite juvenile, especially the ones written by Jim Shooter because he was a kid himself when he was writing them, you know, so they're very simple. And often, you know, the plot holes are, you know, glaring and you could drive a train through them, you know, but you don't notice that shit when you're a kid, you know, you're just having fun and enjoying the action and the half naked women and all that. So, <laughs> um, so I can't be overly harsh with it, but at the end of the day, I would say it's, it's an average Legion story. So I'm going to give it just a middle of the road C. So overall, um, you know, it's it's really the art that shine. You know, the interior art that shines in this book, and it and it does shine very very brightly. So, you know, with that said, I, I guess I'd have to go. Uh, I think I'd go a B minus overall in the book. But again, that by no means is that a bad reflection on the art, because I think the art is that that's the selling point with this is the art's gorgeous and just you know buy it for the art and kind of ignore the dopey story is what I would say. <laughs> I I would actually agree with that assessment because buying it for the art. I can't argue with you. I think the art is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But the story, I was struck by, by how dopey it was. Yep. And, <laughs> and unfortunately, and, it's kind of it's par for the course. I mean, I, no, don't get me wrong. There are, there are great Legion stories from this time period as well. But overall, they're most – I would say by and large, they're mostly kind of like this. They're, they're, I joined the Legion slightly later. I think – I'm just looking quickly through co- the covers on them. Uh, I – Actually, first started buying the Legion with issue 235. So we're talking, this is 1973. We're talking about five years later. So let's see, 235 would be... Nice oh, Mike yeah, you know, cover right you there. You know what's funny? I was just thinking, yeah, man, that's so weird. I was just thinking about this issue today. I need to dig this out and reread it because this is the one that I think, I don't know how successful it was, but I think this is the one that attempted to tackle the question of... Okay, so if Superboy travels into the future and hangs out with the Legion, then shouldn't he know that he never cures Monel of his lead poisoning and that Supergirl exists because he's a fellow teammate and all this other shit? And I think that the, this was the issue that attempted to explain that, well, you know, they actually kind of like mind wipe him every time or every so often, you know, <laughs> so that he doesn't learn things that he's not supposed to know. And that's why he's strapped into that chair on the cover. But I, I have seem not to remember that book. they came up with a convoluted thing where not only do they mind wipe him, but when he comes back to the future, he can remember it. And then when he goes to the past, he can't anymore. Right. Yeah. So it's a selective mind wiping, a yeah, double, a double mind wipe, double secret mind wiping. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, cause they, I remember them getting, they were, they were continually flooded with, with letters like that, you know, begging for an explanation like you know well you know in the latest issue of superman superman was moaning about the fact that he still wasn't able to find a, a cure for Monel. well shouldn't he know because he would go and hang out with Monel when they were kids in the legion of superheroes so he should know he never find you know and stuff like that and i think this was their attempt to finally clear that up once and for all but that said i mean i haven't read this book in probably three decades so i can't remember what the hell the story is i need to dig it out but it's so weird you say that because i was just thinking about that today well my legion exposure slash experience was pretty much uh first time i had read anything with them would have been um crisis on infinite earths and with the baxter series um because at the same i was getting the teen titans baxter books baxter books and i and Right next to him were the Legion books, and so I, I had grabbed a few back then, um, 
but I never really, really got into them. But I'm starting to, you know, as I often say, oh, I have an interest in them. So maybe if I can find some cheap issues. I'll tell you, the, the ones to get into, honestly. Now, I mean, I, I love the Grell stuff. And if you're a fan of Mike Grell and you can find them, of course, cheap, I would say definitely get into the Grell stuff. Um, also, there was another artist that came along. I'm trying to remember his name. Sherman, I think. I'm looking here to try to find it real quick. And Peabody. He had a he had Alan a really Sherman? short run, and I don't I don't know what it, what he ever James T. Sherman. I have no idea what else he ever did, but his Legion stuff was fantastic. Hmm. Um, and that was right towards the end of the original Superboy and the Legion run, right before they canceled Superboy, and then the title becomes Legion of Superheroes. Um, but right after it became Legion of Superheroes, it kind of floundered a little bit. And the stories were okay, but the art was not that good. And they had, you know, they kept changing up artists and everything. And then there was a very brief stint with Pat Broderick that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then it became the then Levitz Keith Giffen and came in. Giffen. Yeah. It, so that that Giffen stuff I see in cheap boxes all the time, which I don't get because that's some great stuff. It is. It's legendary comics. I mean, you know, it, it's right up there with all the other great '80s stuff that everybody's always touting from the '80s. I mean, it is. It's right alongside, you know, X Men and Teen Titans and all that stuff in quality. But somehow that stuff uh, has been kind of relegated to the cheap bins. But that's a good thing. I mean, because then if you want to discover it. You know, much like Burns' Fantastic Four, I'm seeing a lot in, fa- in uh, 50 cent boxes too, and I mean that stuff. Well, the only there. explanation I might give for that is it may have been so popular that they overprinted them. Right, everybody's got it, and that's yeah. why you know all the collectors have their copies. Right, so there's extras floating around. Mm. But that's I the only say, explanation I could think of to have something like Burns' Fantastic Four out there in 25 cent or 50 cent bins. Right. But I would honestly say for for you personally, Bill, and then you know for any listeners listening that are they're you know are not into the Legion but have always been curious to get into the Legion, um, I I maintain that the single best era of Legion in both art and writing, you know, both together, solid you know solid books, solid stories would be the um, Levitz and Giffen stuff, which I'm going purely off the top of my head here, but I want to say starts at like. I think it's like 286 or something like that and pretty much goes through the end of that uh, that original Legion of Superheroes. Okay. I'm, I'm looking as you're talking. 286 was still Pat Broderick. 287 is, that... is Keith Giffen. Okay, yeah. It, it, are you looking at covers or? Um, no, I'm looking at credits. Oh, okay. So I was close then. Yeah, so what, very close. What, what's the cover on 287? 287 is Legion of Superheroes versus Kalak 17 to 1. Okay. Yeah. Oh, odds against super odds against Superman. I think it says it's hard to even read it. Let me see. Seventeen to one. He's up on like a. It looks like he's okay. Stand, he's yeah. standing on a miniature Starship Enterprise. Yeah. And and he's electrocuting other Legion members. The one that I actually started. That's with, not a really good cover. Actually. No, it's not. It's really not. The one that I started with was you know, and, and I mean like where I discovered this era was the cover it's 289 um it's the one with a bunch of legionnaires huddling in the snow and it says a cold and lonely corner of hell and it looks like they're stranded on hoth or something and i just remember seeing that cover or maybe they're stuck in the um 
cyber simulator. <laughs> well, then you only, you only go three issues into 290, which is the first issue of the Great Darkness Saga, Great Darkness which is Saga. Yeah. one of the you know most highly respected stories of that era. Yep. But I, I remember seeing this issue on the stand, and there was just something about it that that caught my attention. I was like, "Ooh, this looks interesting," and I picked it up. And have you know, one thing that really helped was I was already familiar with the characters. I was already familiar with the Legion, although I had lost track of them between you know somewhere between you know the 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 uh, Mike Grell stuff and this. You know, several years had gone by, so I was able to jump right in and and just fell in love. I mean, the art's beautiful, the stories, and it felt like the Legion had grown up because the stories are much more. Um, quote unquote adult, you know, adult in that 80s sense, you know, how comics felt like they'd grown up a little bit. And so then I was able to track down 288 because it was still on the stands. And that's the one with, uh, with more drew on the cover. At least I think that's more drew. And he has all the legionnaires, uh, you know, tied to stakes. It looks like they're being burned at the stake kind of thing. And then like immediately on the heels of 289, you had Legion annual number one come out. And I had no idea who Computer was. So, you know, I, I didn't have any preconceptions. And Computer was a very stupid, um, silver agey, you know, big boxy robot concept. But they gave it a whole new spin here where Computer basically possessed um, the body of uh, the, the kid that would become the new invisible kid, uh, Computer. Uh, possessed his sister and basically just decimated the legion and destroyed their old legion headquarters that's where they got the new one from because computer destroyed it in this story that one i would hold right up there with the great darkness as a matter of fact i'm seeing here that it says that when the legion of superheroes great darkness saga deluxe edition hardcover was printed they actually included legion of superheroes annual number one in that collection that's a good decision because that's a damn good story i don't remember it being connected to great darkness but it's i don't cool either but i do remember i remember rereading that annual several times yeah it's great it's great because essentially um again like i said i had no connection with computer so essentially in so many ways in that story she's kind of like um What's her name from The Exorcist? Um, Reagan. Re- Linda, Reagan. Linda Blair. Yeah, Linda Blair from The Exorcist versus the Legion of Superheroes is essentially what it is. <laughs> and she kicks their asses. It's great. You know, she, you know, destroys the headquarters and all that. But that was a really good story. And the new um, Invisible Kid came out of that story, the the one who was the, the French kid. And I really liked him. He was always one of my favorite characters. So, yeah, that's good. I love this era. I haven't reread these books in so many years, but I mean, just such a good, good run. And it was really solid um, right through the end of the series. And then when they um, when they continued it in the Baxter, because, you know, they started the Baxter series. And so they ended the old series and then renumbered with a number one with the Baxter. And the quality on that kept up, although that's when Giffen got into his really kind of weird experimental phase and his art started to get that kind of weird, like way too heavily inked look and all that. He started to just kind of go his own route and become the thing he is today. And somewhere along the line, he lost me. But during that early stretch, it was still really good stuff. And that that very first story arc of the Baxter series with the Legion of Super Villains is some pretty damn good stuff, too. It's It's pretty dark. Because they were making a serious effort to, I think what they were doing is I think they were chasing Marvel in a lot of ways, and I think they were trying to be 
more adult and, and edgier, you know, similar to like X-Men. And I, you know, so many people want to say that, you know, DC's answer to Marvel's X-Men in the eighties was the new teen Titans. I always argued it was Legion of superheroes. I, I found Legion to be much closer to what Claremont and Byrne were doing with X-Men than, than I thought that um, Wolfman and Perez were doing with teen Titans. But anyway, that's, that's my two cents on it. I, I love this era Legion. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. Still got one more book? Uh, I don't think I can do another book. No. no. <laughs> we're, we're up to, to two hours and 20 minutes of recording. Even with editing and truncating, we're going to still be close to a probably one hour, 45 minutes, one hour, 50 minutes, somewhere in there. But all I have I, a book. I had a book. All Bill I had know a is book. I'm not the guy that, that came to the show with a book this time and didn't, didn't get to cover it. So. <laughs> Bill is not bookless Bill by choice this time. But well, because I'm... I was stalling. Thanks for putting that picture on Facebook, Scott. That's because you were stalling. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm thinking that even though we're we're clearly a three man act, I'm I'm kind of wondering if in the future we want to just start making the show a a, a three a two, you know, book. A two book show. Yeah. Because this think, is happening I... a lot more lately to us. But I, I say we stay with the three book format and when we can do three books fine and when we can't that's fine too okay there's, there's no yeah. reason to purposely cut it to two because then if we go short it's you know I'd, I'd, I'd rather have i'd rather cut out a book than not have enough well bill br- definitely bring your book next time because i i dig your book and i want to cover that one yeah that was, that's, that was that's the book. thing is when when one doesn't get covered it shouldn't get shit canned oh right. no no yeah and this kind of goes with some of the other uh dracula books we did yeah, you're a uh, mark. Yeah. For, you're a mark for Dracula with real with superheroes. I almost brought this book when we did our our Dracula coverage, or whatever that was, Vampire Month or whatever the hell that was we were talking about. I'm a mark for the Scarlet Witch reading books by candlelight. <laughs> <laughs> Give a crap about Dracula. Some nice poses in this. <laughs> All right. I need some um, time alone. I need some me time with the Scarlet Witch and a, and a small chair. Hey, that's not funny. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I got to drive to Bonita Springs. You know where that is, Scott? No. I don't know, but it sounds pretty. By Naples. I was going to say, is this a stripper joint? No, no, no. It's not nipples. <laughs> Naples.
Red alert. Shields up. What shields? Oh, it's just Gary. Plain, simple, Gary. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. It's what you to become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on TwoTrueFreaks.com. That would be hard to say, sir. They're each outstanding in their own way. Cut the horseshit, son. I got their disciplinary files right here. Who dumped a whole truckload of fizzies into the swim meet? Who delivered the medical school cadavers to the alumni dinner? Every Halloween, the trees are filled with underwear. Every spring, the toilets explode. You're talking about Delta, sir. Of course I'm talking about Delta, you twerp! This year it's going to be different. This year we're going to grab the bull by the balls and kick those punks off campus. What do you intend to do, sir? Delta's already on probation. They are? Yes, sir. Oh. Then as of this moment, they're on double secret probation. Double secret probation, sir? There is a little-known codicil in the Faber College Constitution, which gives the dean unlimited power to preserve order in time of campus emergency. Find me a way to revoke Delta's charter. You live next door. Put Niedermeyer on it. He's a sneaky little shit just like you, right? The time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me.